Hello, everyone, and welcome to That Wrestling Show, the podcast where all pro wrestling matters. I'm Bill, and this is Fro. Hello. Uh, I just want to say real quick, I hope you guys enjoyed our 600th episode last week. That was an absolute blast. It was. Um, Of course, the uh, podcast home was a pain in the butt. Because apparently it took a few days for it to be uploaded. But if you haven't heard it, please check it out. Um, so we do have some news to discuss. But before we get to that, Fro, um, I, I want to take this moment to um, mention somebody um, in our group. Uh, Justin Wallace, also known as Juice. Uh, for those who have not heard, uh, he was killed in an automobile accident on Jeez. Monday on his way to work. Um, he was the host of the Jews pro wrestling podcast, which we plug every week. He was always, always on our group, plugging his show every week. Um, he was a really wonderful guy. Uh, he was on the elimination Royal rumble podcast. I'm going to have to look up, what episode he did so I could put it up so you guys could hear him. Um, I know you didn't know him, Fro, but, you know, just hearing Monday morning, you know, um, that he had died mm. was just absolutely surprising. Um, yeah. How old was he? How old was he? Uh, I want to... Actually, I'm looking it up right now. I, I want to say he was about our age, like Jeez, late thirties, early forties. Yeah. Um, he does. He did have a wife and a son. Um, the 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 guys from the Juice Pro Wrestling podcast uh, did put up a GoFundMe campaign, and they have far surpassed the goal that they had set at the time, which was $10,000 to help pay for funeral expenses. Um, They've now bumped it up to $20,000. Currently, as of this recording, they have raised over $15,000. Yeah. Please ask uh, Luke to to tweet that link. Yes, I I will do that. I'll, yeah. I'll put I'll put the link up in our Facebook group. Um, but please do that. Remember yeah. that, please. Yeah. Um. But it, it, I, I, you know, just our thoughts go out to everyone Definitely. that knew Justin, that knew Juice. Yeah. Uh, he he was a really good guy. Um, easy to talk to. I, I know we had talked uh, about, you know, me get, being on his show. Uh, it never happened, but um, it, it just sucks, you know, how yeah. one day, you know, you're living in the world and, you know, you, you're with your wife, you're with your kid, and all you're doing is going to work, and then the next thing you know, you know, it just, just really sad. Our our, our thoughts go out. Absolutely. Yeah, that's terrible news. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about 
TNA mm-hmm. again because uh, the talent sent out a letter to Anthem uh, late in this week. Mm-hmm. And Sean Ross Sepp of Fightful.com had put up the letter, and I actually have the letter in front of me. Very nice guy, by the way. Ooh, Anthem? Uh, no, Sean. Oh, <laughs> Sean Rossap. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is what this is what I follow Fightful. So. Oh, okay. So this is what the talent uh, sent as the following letter to Len and Scott. TNA Impact is not just our employer and the company for which we work. It is a family, a family that each of us has grown to love and cherish and trust with our bodies and our careers, a family for which we feel deeply and that desire above all else to protect. We are deeply saddened by the decision to remove Scott Demore from the TNA Impact family. Scott is a brilliant wrestling mind that has guided this company and has it positioned to take the next step upward in front of in our industry. Scott is also so much more than this. He is a trusted friend, confidant, teacher, advisor, brother, and mentor to so many within the TNA Impact family. Scott has been the heart of the TNA Impact family for over two decades. Len and Anthem have been instrumental in supporting and building this company back from the ground up. The contributions of Len and Anthem have never gone unnoticed by anyone in the company, and we want to make sure Len knows this. TNA, simply put, would not have survived without Len and Anthem. Not just financially, but with the undying faith in Scott and us to revive the company that was on the brink of death. Mm. Len and Anthem are the foundation that TNA has been been able to build upon. We would not have made it back to this point without both of you. The fans know this, and the TNA family knows this. We come to you to voice our concern for TNA and Impact, our family, and its future and direction. We, like you, wish to safeguard what we have all worked and sweat and bled for to build. We want TNA Impact to continue to grow and to continue to be in an an enviable place for all professional wrestlers to work. We understand and appreciate that professional wrestling at its core is a business and that the company must provide a fiscally responsible, financially viable product. At the same time, professional wrestling is uniquely situated. The business of professional wrestling is so much more than balance sheets, downloads, and ratings. The wrestling business is and must be its people, its characters, and its storylines. That is to say, there is no wrestling business without the wrestling creative vision and the right people bringing the creative vision to life. To thrive, a wrestling company must have both an eye toward business decisions and its fingers on the pulse of creative decisions and the ever-changing appetite of our fans. It is in light of this concern and our desire to uphold the high standards of TNA Impact that we offer this letter. It is our desire to have a dialogue with you and with the company in an effort to protect the present and the future of TNA Impact for you, for Anthem, for the fans, and for professional wrestlers. We feel strongly that a wrestling person, that's in quotes, 
needs to be intimately involved at a high level to ensure that the amazing company we have all built and product we have provided to our fans continues to grow and flourish. It is our opinion that the best possible person for that role was, is, and will be Scott. We recognize that we do not necessarily know all the facts or details around the decision to remove Scott. In life, there is always the rumors, the opinions, and somewhere in between, the truth. We rarely get to know which is which. It remains our hope and desire that everyone can set aside the past few days and any hurt feelings or unkind words that may have been exchanged and meet to discuss a path forward that preserves the TNA Impact family we all hold so dearly. We remain steadfast and hopeful that this letter can be a first step to opening and keeping open productive lines of communication to ensure the TNA Impact family continues to be a wonderful, unique place to work for years to come. We ask and implore you both to come together and create a resolution that will you reunite this family once again. We look forward to hearing from you and continuing this dialogue. Signed, your TNA family. Yeah, I uh, I really thought that letter was marvelous, really. That was really well well written. Yeah. Um, as of this moment, uh, Tommy Dreamer is now head of creative, which is not a bad substitute. It, it really isn't. Um, I I wonder where this could go. Mm-hmm. Um. It's a possibility that, you know, a meeting could happen. It's a possibility that this just gets swept right under the rug and nothing comes of it. It, it, A lot of things could happen from that. Absolutely. Uh, But, yeah, like you said, it was very well written, very well said. Um, Who knows? Maybe something will come out from this. Who knows? Yeah, let's hope so. Um, okay, now this next story I want to mention, uh, this is a story that thankfully, uh, did not become a national story. So, of course, one of the things that's been going on in the United States has been shootings at schools. Mm -hmm. Well, a young man a few weeks ago, uh, called authorities to let them know that someone was planning on doing a school shooting. So the young man is going to get a an award for doing this. Why am I mentioning this? I'm sure you're all asking. Well, because the individual who did this is 15 years old. He is the grandson of Brian Pillman. Mm. 15 years old. My goodness. What? It's just absolutely amazing. You know, 15 years old. And it really is amazing. Like, in a wonderful way. Mm -hmm. That this kid did this. 
because who knows how many more people would have been injured or worse. Um, but no, very, very good on him, you know. So I wanted to mention that. Um, okay, one other thing, and then we're going to get into uh, a serious topic here. Uh, the Saudi Arabia thing, uh, they, they have the new WWE amusement I, I kind of think of it as a big party. Yeah, the WWE <laughs> experience. Yes, the WWE experience. Whatever um, that means. Yeah. So they I, they, I think they had that open, or at least they showed a preview of what. Oh, no, it's open. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was. Um, so that is now open. Uh, if you saw a video clip, it was of Undertaker's part where it's like you it's like an escape room. You have like eight minutes to get out, I think it mm-hmm. is. Um part of me is like, wow, that looks really cool. The other part of me was like, oh, I wish it was here in the US. <laughs> yeah. So unfortunately <laughs> unfortunately we're not gonna get that I think anytime soon, but um. Yeah, I, uh, let me just check one more thing, and then. Okay, yeah, we're good. All right, so we have to mention this because if we don't, we're gonna look like a bunch of douchebags. Although I'm sure to some people we probably are. But anyway, <laughs> um... <laughs> talk for yourself. There you go. There's the fro I know. Mm-hmm. So anyway. I'm just um, a, a douchebag against everybody's name that starts with N S. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. Um. So we're gonna go back. Uh, we're gonna talk about a news that came out this week about uh, more of Vince McMahon and Ashley Massaro. Mm-hmm. So there was. A sworn affidavit, affidavit by Ashley Massaro that was never released publicly by uh, her lawyers, Constantine Kairos and Erica Mirabella, who worked together on the concussion lawsuit many years ago that failed. Um, according to an article in, uh, from Vice, Kairos said he never released it because it had nothing to do with the concussion lawsuit. Although, years ago, um, he did release the rape allegation story that Massaro told regarding an apparent doctor at a military base while on a military tour, which also didn't relate to the concussion lawsuit. It should be noted that Massaro, after she had given this deposition, apologized to WWE, Vince, Stephanie McMahon, and Kevin Dunn, and blamed Kairos for the things she said in a later letter to WWE. Not Kevin Nash? No, not Kevin Nash. Well, uh, uh, I don't think Kevin Nash would have had to do anything with that meeting. But Kevin anyway. Nash. However, uh, we have a new person to come in. It is a lady by the name of Kara Papia, who is the best or was the best friend of Ashley Massaro. And she appeared on the 
Ashley Banfield show on News Nation and said that everything in the deposition was the same thing Massaro told her at the time. Mm. Now, Now, I did not see the interview, but I do have notes here. So for those who didn't see the interview as well, I I have the notes in front of me. Papilla said that Massaro told her that her own drug issues with a soma addiction came from the talent passing around the drugs. She said in Kuwait she was raped and sodomized multiple times while in a drugged up state attempting to stay awake. Jeez Louise. She also said that Massaro told her that a WWE executive, who she didn't name, actually took her from the room in a blanket to her hotel so the company knew about it immediately. She also said that the rest of the crew went home, but Massaro, due to her medical condition, from essentially being almost paralyzed because of being drugged, had to stay by herself in Kuwait after everyone else went home. Yeah, this is... Yeah, uh, that's not good. This is just the beginning. She said Massaro told her she had spoken to Vince McMahon several times about the incident, corroborated the boardroom meeting where she was told not to report it, which WWE had always vehemently denied. She brought up that Vince had Stephanie talk to her as a oh woman God. to be sympathetic. Oh, Papi- no. Papia also corroborated that Massaro told Dr. Ferdinand Rios, who has since said that he was told by Massaro about what happened, but that Massaro hmm. asked him to be quiet about it. WWE sent us and the rest of the media interested a statement when Kairos released the story about the alleged rape and sodomizing. They also had us interview people on the tour who denied the story happened. Jerry McDevitt said that everyone on that tour but Maria Canales had told WWE they knew nothing about it, and he described not knowing why when WWE asked that Canellis refused to say anything. And there are a couple quotes. At no time was Vince McMahon or the management of WWE ever informed by Massaro or anybody else that she had been sexually assaulted, drugged, raped, or sodomized by a military doctor with a nurse standing guard while on a goodwill tour in 2007, the U.S. military bases in Kuwait. In fact, if she ever articulated such a claim to WWE, we would have reported it immediately to the base commander. At no time was there ever a meeting with Vince McMahon, Kevin Dunn, John Laurinaitis, or other company executives in which she told them of such a claim and was instructed to keep quiet. Hmm. Uh, Papilla confirmed... Massaro told her the story in 2006 when it happened, saying they told her the story had to stay under wraps. Of course it did. She walked into the boardroom. She was threatened. There was no compassion, no sympathy, nothing. 
Why am I not shocked? Exactly. Papia said they knew and had called her while she was left in Kuwait, although in Masaro's deposition, she said that it was in Saudi Arabia. While Laurinaitis denied a cover-up, his lawyer did say Laurinaitis knew about it, and Dr. Rios said he spoke with Laurinaitis about it, and Laurinaitis mm. said he was already aware. Laurinaitis' lawyer said that the said that most upper-level management knew. Um, a couple more notes. Masaros, or, uh, it was said that two WWE people close to McMahon talked to Masaro about how to deal with his behavior. Mm. This is where it gets a little bad. Mirabella oh. said she and Masaro spoke in detail about Masaro's experiences in WWE. And then Mirabella wrote a draft affidavit. Masaro reviewed it and then offered feedback, new details, and edits on a phone call which Mirabella used in preparing a new draft. They repeated this process several more times to come up with a final draft of the affidavit. Our, uh, Mirabella said the vice, our colleagues ultimately decided we should focus only on the sexual assault and physical in-ring injuries Ashley sustained. So I discussed this with Ashley, and she agreed that we could remove it. So it was deleted. Mm-hmm. We then finalized the affidavit. She signed it. She signed it, and we submitted it to the court. So this is the actual statement that I'm about to read. Oh, no. During my time with the WWE, I had mm-hmm. observed Vince McMahon making out with other divas in the locker room. But he never paid attention to me, and I assumed I was not his type. This changed after my Playboy cover was released. I was fortunate enough to be allowed to fly on the company jet and stay at the same hotels as the executives for a period of time so that I could get home faster to spend more time with my daughter. On one of these occasions... Vince Mm -hmm. was attempting to get me alone with him in his hotel room late at night, and I felt extraordinarily uncomfortable. He began calling the hotel room phone and my cell phone nonstop. I called Kevin Dunn to explain the situation, and he said I should tell Vince I was not feeling well and would see him on TV the next day. So I did. Immediately after that night, Vince started writing my promos for me. Vince does not write promos for female wrestlers. That is the job of the creative department. And he certainly wouldn't have, under any normal circumstances, written a promo for me. But he did. And the promos were written with the clear intention of ruining my career. Amazing. Yeah. I brought my first script Vince wrote for me to the WWE employee in charge of creative at the time, Michael Hayes. And he said, you're not saying this, who the expletive wrote this. And I told him that Vince did. He said, well, kid, these are the breaks. Meaning that Vince wanted to end my career and destroy my reputation on my way out. He is, known, he is known for this type of behavior, 
and also did this to Redacted upon her departure from WWE. In addition, after that night, each time I walked by him, he would make vulgar sexual comments that were clearly designed to make me uncomfortable. So that statement was made around 2015 and was the statement that did become news years ago after her death in 2019 that, you know, WWE immediately denied. So uh, there are a couple of notes, uh, and, and Dave Meltzer did a really good job on on this report from the original statement. Aside from the numerous concussions, I received a multitude of other injuries as a result of WWE's failure to properly train me or provide proper treatment for my injuries. For example, I suffered a hairline fracture in my spine and sustained numerous back injuries in addition to the one described above, and ultimately was diagnosed with herniated discs in C4 and C5 of my vertebrae. An injury that haunts me to this day occurred on February 20th, 2006, when I was injured in the ring in the Women's Battle Royal. I suffered a large fracture that went around my leg bone twice, and a piece of bone became loose. Jesus. On February 22nd, I had to undergo surgery to have a five-inch metal plate, eight screws, and staples placed in my leg. My leg was then placed in a cast, and I clearly should not have been performing while I recovered from this surgery. However, a storyline was written very shortly after where Mickey James was to kidnap me and I was supposed to fall out of a chair during a match so the camera would have a better angle to capture a match between Mickey James and Trish Stratus. Mm. Including me in this storyline and requiring me to perform in the ring was entirely inappropriate as my leg was protected for a reason and I should not have been forced to intentionally fall out of a chair. And... I should not have been forced to remain in a spot where I was likely to get hit or have someone fall on me, which happened. Trish fell Mm. on top of me accidentally during the match, causing further damage to my already severely injured leg, which at the time was still in a cast from my most recent injury. I required revisionary surgeries stemming from this injury in 2008. In addition, in 2010, I required a related revisionary surgery on my ankle. A few months later, after fracturing my leg, in the summer of 2006, I shattered my knuckle of my right hand in a match against Crystal. Dr. Rios treated me. My hand was put in a cast, which he said had to remain on for about four weeks. A week or two later, Vince wanted me to perform in a show. He knew that my cast was not supposed to come off for at least a couple more weeks, but he did not care. He ordered the cast sawed off by, he ordered the cast sawed off my hand backstage by WWE crew so that I could perform in a match. At the time, I had been managing and valeting for Paul London and Brian Kendrick's tag team. And Mm -hmm. I recall that Paul London was present and witnessed this incident. 
far worse than the severe physical damage was that was inflicted on my back, neck, ankle, leg, knuckle, and any other body part from wrestling. The worst injury to my mind, my body, and my soul that I sustained while working for the WWE was the result of an experience I suffered in 2007 in Kuwait. I am a strong supporter of the U.S. military and was always very enthusiastic when giving the opportunity to do something to help the men and women fighting overseas for our freedom. I am also very friendly and personable by nature, so I developed a strong rapport with the many veterans and active service members that I encountered in my work with the WWE. As a result, I was one of four performers chosen to go on a two-week tour in support of our troops in Afghanistan, Kuwait, and Saudi Arabia. The other performers in attendance were Maria Canales, Ron Simmons, and Jimmy Hart. Gary Hart, editor's note, this would be the WWE executive, not the manager. While I was initially thrilled to have this opportunity, I began experiencing issues from the outset. At the beginning of the trip, I received harsh treatment from several men in Saudi Arabia, even while wearing a burqa. Maria Canales did not receive this type of treatment, so I suspected that it was related to my fair skin and light eyes. This made me very uncomfortable, but I brushed it off and was still looking forward to the tour. Then, after we had arrived in Kuwait, I began to suffer from menstrual cramps. I had asked to rest in the Humvee, which was air-conditioned during a break, and the U.S. Army soldiers insisted I was suffering from dehydration, notified Gary Hart, and insisted on taking me to a nearby military base in Kuwait. I was told at the base that I needed an IV for dehydration. I protested, but they insisted that I needed it, and it was very common due to the hot weather. When I arrived at the sick bay, an IV was placed in my arm almost immediately. After sitting with the IV in my arm for what felt like hours, Jimmy Hart came to check up on me and make sure I was okay. I told him I was, I told, I know Jimmy Hart's such a wonderful person. I was told him, I told him I was fine, but that they wouldn't let me leave because they said I had to wait to see a doctor. Jimmy said he and the rest of the group were going to get lunch and left. Another couple of hours went by and then a man appeared in the sick bay dressed in an orange t-shirt and cargo shorts. And I had heard others comment that it was his birthday. He represented himself as a U.S. Army doctor, but I observed that all the other doctors at the facility had been wearing scrubs, so I do not know whether this was true. Hmm. He, was, he was with a woman who was dressed in full military fatigues. While I still was in the sick bay, he approached me and almost immediately administered an IV of an unknown substance in my other arm. Almost immediately after, the alleged doctor and the woman in fatigues moved me into a room that did not appear to be a treatment room and placed me on a table. The woman guarded the door while the man proceeded to inject me with a drug that caused me to be unable to move my body or to scream. Or to scream? Or to scream. Jeez, Louise. What the fuck? Yeah. Um... The man then proceeded to violently rape and sodomize me. I was completely helpless to defend myself against this attack as the drug he injected rendered me temporarily paralyzed. 
Despite being unable to control my movements, I remained fully conscious of every second of the attack. I felt excruciating pain as a result of this man penetrating me by force and against my will in a violent and aggressive manner while I was completely defenseless. Each second that went by was excruciating, and I have never felt more helpless or been more terrified in my entire life. The experience was a living nightmare. I don't know exactly how long this went on for, but it felt like an eternity. The suffering I endured far surpassed all the injuries I had ever suffered in the ring put together. I was experiencing not only severe physical pain, but severe emotional and psychological trauma. I have always considered myself to be a fighter and survivor, so I can't even find the words to describe what it felt like to be thrown on a table and stripped and then brutalized in the worst possible way that one human being is capable of brutalizing another, all while being unable to move or speak. In addition to the pain and terror, I felt almost dehumanized and was extremely disturbed by the feeling that I was somehow given to this man as some type of sick birthday present, and it also made me sick that the female soldier willingly guarded the door for him while he raped me without blinking an eye. Happy birthday. Finally, Gary returned and was banging on the door. The man and woman yelled one minute and threw a dirty quilt on me as I was lying naked on the table. And when Gary entered the room, he attempted to ask them what was going on, but they immediately stormed out. At the time, my body was still limp and my speech impaired. So Gary wrapped me in the quilt and carried me out to the Humvee outside and took me back to my hotel room and then put me in my bed as I needed to sleep. Gary said the call when I woke up and that he or one of the others we were traveling with would come back to get me. Three hours later, I woke up suddenly and jumped out of bed and had regained the ability to move and speak. My mind, however, could barely process the fact that I had just been drugged and then violently violently and brutally raped and sodomized repeatedly by a man who was celebrating his birthday and claimed to be a U.S. Army doctor. I also felt a sense of abandonment and wished someone had just stayed with me at the base as this likely would never have happened had I not been left there alone. Yeah, I sadly think they knew what was going to happen, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Shortly after I woke, so atrocious. Shortly after I woke, Maria appeared in my hotel room. She had heard from Gary that when he picked me up from the base, my body was limp and my speech was impaired. I explained to her that I was injected with an IV of an unknown substance, which left me unable to move or scream, and then was sexually assaulted. She was very sympathetic and nice when I told her what had happened. She then relayed this information to Jimmy, Ron, and Gary. I then met the rest of the group because we had to head to the next location on the tour schedule. Obviously, given my mental and physical condition, and that I was in Kuwait and the group had to leave for the next destination, I was not in a position to stick around by myself and have a rape kit administered. I am also uh, pretty sure that it's more difficult uh, because they are in Kuwait. I mean... right. It's not like that's known for being a very woman-friendly country, yeah. to say it mildly. While en route to the next destination, I told Jimmy, Ron, Maria 
that I did not want them to tell anyone else what had happened. They mm. agreed to respect my wishes. Finally, the tour was over and we were in Saudi Arabia and about to get on our flight home via London and my ticket was inexplicably missing. We couldn't get another ticket and Gary could not get in touch with WWE's travel coordinators to give me a ticket on their flight. Their solution was to leave me in Riyadh alone and put me up in a hotel by the airport. Yeah, because we are there also. Exactly. At this point, I had already given the burqa I had borrowed from the U.S. service members back to them, and they had left. Riyadh was the location where I was harassed at the beginning of the trip when while wearing a burqa, and I had just been drugged and viciously raped. I could not believe that anyone would expect me to stay there overnight alone given the circumstances. Yeah. Nevertheless, Gary and the rest of the group left and got on their flight. I could not believe what was happening, but there was no way I was staying alone in a hotel without a burqa in Riyadh for the night. So I yeah, called a friend. That's yeah, a exactly. Muslim country. Yeah, exactly. So I called a friend who is a travel agent who arranged for me to meet an airline employee who, by some miracle, got me onto a flight. Thankfully, I was able to return home, but I was still incredibly upset at the fact that I had been abandoned in a dangerous situation by my colleagues who knew what I had just endured and thought it was inappropriate that even the WWE office, while not aware of the rape yet, would think it was a good plan for the rest of the group to leave me alone there overnight. Yeah. Now, this is where it gets a little more interesting. After I returned to the U.S., Dr. Rios set a meeting with me and questioned me about the incident. I have no idea how he knew anything had happened. I suspect that either something showed up in my drug test results, one of the other individuals on the tour reported it to him, or he could just sense from my demeanor that something was wrong. Regardless, he told me that I needed to tell him what had happened. I finally agreed on the condition that that he not disclose the information to anyone else and told him what had occurred. Dr. Rios then informed Vince who informed Kevin Dunn, John Laurinaitis, and several other company executives or lawyers that I had never even met, but were all present at a meeting that I was called into shortly after. Mm. Vince led the meeting with these men and asked me to recount what happened in Kuwait. Then he said it was not in the best interest of the WWE for me to make the information about my (laughs) Of course course not. Yeah, what a surprise. I was still completely traumatized at that point, and I just agreed. It was clear that there had already been a conversation and that they had reached a decision on their own prior to consulting with me, as this was not a debate, but rather Vince instructing me to keep this confidential. Vince did at least apologize for what I went through, but then stressed that if I disclosed this incident, It would ruin the relationship between the WWE and the U.S. military. He told me not to let one. I know. Why would that ruin the relationship between such big two things? He told me not to let one bad experience ruin the good work they were doing. Oh, my God. Jesus Christ. Wow. I mean, that's a little like if I go into a McDonald's 
and I get raped, and I tell everybody, and people go like, oh, you shouldn't have said that. Now people will stop eating at McDonald's. Really? That's what you're taking away from that? Not that I was raped. Like, or drugged. fuck? Yeah. His lack of sensitivity and referring to my ordeal as one bad experience left oh, me yeah. speechless. Yeah. Vince went on to say that I would not be required to travel to the Middle East ever again and that the WWE would institute a new policy where any time a female performer went to the Middle East, she would have a female WWE escort with her 24-7 to ensure this did not happen again. This did a not make late me... for that, maybe. Yeah. This did not make me feel better about the situation. No, of course not. It had already happened to me, and yep. the damage was already done. Mm-hmm. But again... I felt so defeated at that point that it seemed pointless to protest. I also and it's also adamantly... a little like you don't get support from your boss, and yeah. your your boss is also like I mean Vince is a uh, I mean I'm sure there's a good place for him in hell between him and uh, Hitler. So yeah, this did not make me feel better about the situation. It had already happened to me, and the damage was already done. But again, I was so defeated at that point that it seemed almost pointless to protest. I almost adamantly was uncomfortable with the thought of all the wrestlers finding out, so I asked Vince and those in the room to keep the incident quiet and agreed. Of course. At the time, I was completely traumatized and had literally no support. I also had no evidence as I was unable to have a rape kit administered and did not even know the name of my rapist. I was also not in the appropriate mental state to determine the proper channels to go through to report a crime that happened on a military base in Kuwait and was committed by a man I cannot identify by name. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and also it being so far away overseas makes it extremely difficult it's in a Muslim country with different rules when it comes to rape. Like, mm-hmm. everything is so much different over there. If it, it happened in the States, I am 110% sure it would be different. Yeah. Given my condition, I simply did not have it in me to go against the wishes of the WWE and to attempt to pursue the matter any further, and I remained silent. Yeah. The easiest thing to do seemed to be to try to pretend it didn't happen which, of course, ultimately never works. This experience was by far the most traumatic and emotionally damaging thing that has ever happened to me, and it haunts me to this day. People often speak of having nightmares where they have been attacked, but for some unknown reason are unable to scream or run. This happened to me in real life, and I can't count the number of times I have relived this incident in my mind. Obviously, I should have received counseling or therapy after the attack, but neither Dr. Rios nor Vince had ever suggested therapy or counseling of any sort, and I was forced to deal with and live with this incident on my own. I felt that Dr. Rios, as he had been in all of my interactions with him, was sympathetic and would have liked to do more to help, but he was under the thumb of the WWE and in in particular Vince. In the past, when I had been injured, Dr. Rios had administered cortisone shots and prescribed pain medication and muscle relaxers for me, 
but I imagine he knew there was just band-aids, in quotes, used to allow me to continue to perform in the short term. Dr. Rios had said at one point that I really needed a break given the number of injuries I had sustained over a relatively short time span, but his advice was ignored by WWE. As Vince demonstrated when he ordered the crew to prematurely saw a cast off my hand, he was not concerned for my health or safety and was only concerned about putting on a show and making money. Yep. Vince approached my rape in the same manner he approached all wrestler injuries. He did not want to damage the reputation of the WWE by making them public knowledge. So he exerted extreme pressure on us to stay silent, to perform whether or not it was safe to do so, and had almost no regard for our well-being. We were treated as replaceable commodities. WWE's top priorities seemed to be generating profits and avoiding liabilities, regardless of how this affected its workers. As an aside, I kept my silence about this for year or about this incident for years, at first because of pressure from WWE and fear of losing my job. And then because I felt like it would do little or no good to report a rape that occurred years ago in Kuwait by a man I could not identify. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> wow. Yeah, that's that's just awful. Awful, awful, awful. There's a lot to digest there. Yeah. Um, I, okay, I'm. Uh, this is just talking here. This is not a thought. This is not guess. This is just talking. I think the reason why the others had to go was like after, when they got back to Saudi Arabia was because they probably were forced to go back. Oh, definitely. I am almost certain if yeah. they weren't forced to go back, at least Maria and maybe Jimmy Hart would have stayed. Yeah. I, I truly think that. So that that's my first thought. The next thought is, how can you play down something like one of your own talent getting drugged and raped yeah. while on the job. It sadly doesn't surprise me. It's Vince we're talking about. It, it is. It, it is. Yeah. And then... And sad, sad to say that, but it's true. And then to say, you know, we don't want to ruin the relationship that we have with the U.S. military... It's yeah. not it's not like you're, you know, basically you're not saying, oh, we're no longer going to work with every branch of the military. Yeah, exactly. It's like I said, if I walked into a McDonald's, yeah. I think the I think the part that stands out to me in the statement after what happened in the Middle East more than anything, mm. is a line Vince saying, one bad experience. Yeah. You have one bad experience. That's like saying to somebody who OD'd and lived, oh, you had one bad experience. That's not the same. I'm sorry. It is not the same. Like, 
if you had a date and the date was terrible, that's a good example of saying one bad experience. Yeah. Getting drugged and raped in the Middle East by an alleged doctor of the military? Yeah. Oh, man. This is another... Number one, this is another cautionary tale. And it's also another nail in the Vince McMahon it is. coffin. Yeah. But this is another cautionary tale of what fame, you know, like the dark side of fame being a, a figure. And especially with women. Mm. Um, I feel absolutely terrible. Yeah. Her daughter's going to have to live with this for the rest of her life. Yep. Um, I, I really hope now, after reading all of that, that more women come out and say, Vince did this, Vince did that. I, I really do. And then I also want to mention, on a side note, uh, Rene Dupree on his podcast, which on her. Uh, no him, it's him. Oh, Rene oh. Dupree, not not Rene Paquette. I was like, <laughs> okay, yeah, sorry. He said recently that Jackie Gata got let go because she ignored Vince's moves. So, there's more than one. Yep. And, uh, why does this, some of, this just doesn't surprise me anymore. Nope. The one thing I do want to mention, um, before we wrap up the show, because I'm sure people are going to, be saying, you know, asking about it. Is Stephanie McMahon? Because yeah, that's uh, very much a surprise for me. I, re- I am really surprised by that. Because with her, and, and it wasn't in the report, she was kind of a, she was the female figure. Yeah. You know, to help Ashley you know, through this tough time. Mm -hmm. The question now is, how much did she know of this? Yeah. You know, what, you know, of other women, does she know? Because I don't want to pass judgment on her yet. I want to see if, like more come out and more say, oh, Stephanie knew about this. If if she does know more, allegedly, then I don't think she's going to go back to WWE. I don't think she's going to be allowed back in WWE. I agree. So this is, again, this is a situation that we have to keep our eye on. Mm-hmm. For the rest of the year, because there's going to be more. I, I think there will be more. 
And I sadly I agree with you. I think uh, I think this is a case that will get worse and worse the more we talk about it. And I'm very glad that it came out. I mean, yeah. I'm extraordinarily happy that this woman is so strong. Um, I, I think more people have to come out, like Janelle Grant. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I think more women have to come out and say something. Otherwise, yeah. otherwise, you know, Vince is just going to be left basically a free man. Like, in the court of the people, Vince is guilty. In an actual court, which we don't know if it's going to even get to, we don't know if he's going to be found guilty or not. There's, There's evidence against him, but... We we will see. All right. Um, so, what did uh, you guys discuss this week on another digital citizen? Uh, I don't know if it's important, but uh, yeah, listen to the show. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you have any questions or comments, email uh, that wrestling show eleven at gmail dot com. Follow the show on Twitter, Wrestling Show 11. Follow us on Instagram, That Wrestling Show. And join our Facebook group where we have over 500 members in our group. A couple of quick plugs here. Uh, Our Vantage Point, another week in the 86 Canon. A huge week in the 86 Canon. You're going to want to check that out. Uh, GFA Live, they did part two of... Clash of the Champions 7. So you mm. want to check that out. Uh, on Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast, uh, they are joined by musicians Julian Villard, Andrew Berg, and Mike Huff. Mm. Check that out. Uh, Escape from Vault Disney this week. They discuss The Nightmare Before Christmas. That's that a good is- movie. I like that movie. You know, I've actually never seen the whole thing through. Oh, it's so good. I, the first time I remember watching it, I was in eighth grade. And we never got through to the end of the movie. So I don't have an opinion on it. I'll mm-hmm. just say that. Um, on Acid Wash Memories, it's all about the highway. No, The I'm highway not- to hell? No, not the highway to hell, just the highway. Mm-hmm. That is, it's an interesting talk. If you don't believe me, you're going to want to On SMB, a South Park review, uh, they review the season 15 episode, Funny Bot. That is on SMB, a South Park review. Also, check out Shark's Pond, a South Park podcast. Where this week I review the season 23 episode Board Girls. Um, also check out Bill Learns Kingdom Hearts, another week there. I think we're at the halfway point actually of the season, so nice. You want to check that out. Have All you right. learned it? Uh, I'm learning stuff, I, I'm yeah. definitely learning stuff. All right, so uh, here's the deal with next week's episode. 
it can be one of two things. Mm. If, and, and I talked to Fro off air before we started. Did if you? no, <laughs> if ah uh, ha if I am not working Friday, there will be a show Friday where we will preview the elimination chamber. If I am working, then on Sunday, we will do a review of the Elimination Chamber. So either way, you're going to get coverage of the Elimination Chamber one way or another. So one way or another, we're going to tell you, we're going to give you, give you, give you our thoughts on Elimination Chamber. That was real bad. Real bad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. So on that note, uh, thank you guys for tuning in for another week of that that wrestling show and this wrestling show. Uh, The podcast where all pro wrestling matters. And as always, sorry about the bad news. Wrestle on.